Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. Welcome everybody to the Women in Family Law podcast. Today, I'm in conversation with Susie Wakefield and Alex Anderson, and I'm delighted that the two of them can join me for what I know is going to be a fascinating conversation. To do my introductions here, Susie is a partner in the dispute resolution and litigation team at Shoesmiths and heads up the commercial insurance team. While she began her legal career in London, her journey took her on a 10-year detour by New York and Bermuda before returning to the city. So I'm really interested to ask her a bit more about that. She's passionate about achieving gender balance in the law and has been working hard for the last 10 years to make a meaningful difference. She's the sole parent of a nine-year-old boy. Welcome, Susie. Thank you for having me. And Alex is a partner in the construction team at RPC. She started her legal journey at the bar, but moved to RPC in 1998 and made partner in 2004. She chairs the firm's female insurance group, aka FIG, which is an insurance market facing organisation aimed to provide women with the opportunities to develop the skills and build the networks they need to progress in their careers. She is also a leading figure in the firm's gender work stream and allies network. As a mother of two teenage girls, she can see the urgency to get real change in the workplace to encourage true gender equality. And that's going to be a lot of the discussion that we're going to be having today. And I, I know it's going to be really interesting. In the, the introductions, I've said something about your career paths, but I just wondered if you'd like to expand. Susie, how have you got to where you've got to? Um, I think like all these things, there's a little bit of luck and just... Uh you know, following your nose along the way. But um, just to explain, I'm American as well as British, despite the way I speak. So that's what really drove me to New York was just having the ability to do that and the desire to um, spend some time in the States. And actually, that became that was really sort of the core of my associate years was was in New York. And I was working for LaBeouf, as it was then. And had a fantastic time and uh, really you know learnt my skills there with some really good people and then the opportunity came to to go to Bermuda which was just uh, something a little bit different not taking me too far away from New York but sort of gave me the opportunity to reconnect back with the jurisdiction the UK you know having been gone for that long I was a little bit worried about getting timed out uh, of the UK so I uh, went to Bermuda spent three years there and then returned back to the UK in 2010. Thank you very much. And Alex, what about your journey? Well, mine has been really very much more luck than judgment in that when I was at university, I was um, I had a year as a sabbatical as president of the Students' Union. And having been kind of out of the law field, I didn't realise I'd brought the deadline forward by six months to apply for bar finals. So I missed that, which meant I had to go and get a job in between. And I ended up working as a paralegal at what was then SJ Bowen. And that gave me a taste of what it was like to work at a law firm and, and gave me that experience. And I continued to work there while I was doing bar finals. I then completed my pupillage. I hadn't yet found a tenancy and I was looking around. And fortunately, someone I had met when I was SJ Bowen, he was a barrister. His wife worked at RPC and they said, 
we've got some new people coming in. We need some people to come and do the work. We know you love doing this work because you did it when you were at SJ Bowen. Why don't you come and join us? And and I did. And, and that was, gosh, almost 24 years ago now and still there. Well, that's fantastic. So really different paths to, to get to where you've got to. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand that, that it isn't often a linear path. There's luck along the way and people that you meet. I think really important. Obviously, things have changed dramatically, but I'm just wondering if you can just outline a typical day. I know there's no such thing, really, but something about how you work would be really interesting. Shall I go first? Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, I don't think I've got anything particularly interesting on the typical day. Obviously, you know, as I said, I am a sole parent and things have changed a lot also since lockdown. So there is possibly more more juggling in a way um, in that, you know, um, when, when you are working from home, it's, it's possible to do the quick school run and, and carry on. My son has got older through lockdown, um, so went from an age where he absolutely needed someone else to be looking after him to actually being able to uh, sit and do his homework for an hour or so. So a typical day starts very early, gets my son to school, gets me to my desk and off I go, whether I'm coming into the office or staying at home and um, just getting on with the work, really. I, I think the challenge now is spending enough time with colleagues and, and not spending too much time on on your own working from home and, and making sure that we, we're getting that that side of things, um, making the most of that to the extent we can. Yeah, and particularly um, for younger colleagues, being there to help them, to mentor them, to assist them in learning. I think it's okay for older people perhaps to spend time at home, but I think it is that culture and team thing that perhaps we're missing. That's right. Um, Alex, what about you? Do you have a typical day? Well, it's varied so much in the lockdown period. Certainly before it would be very much I was in the office every day and I would generally get there at about half past eight once I got the children out the door to school and I would get back at about seven um, in time to say, have you actually done your homework? Um, a recurring theme, obviously in lockdown and the joys that were guided home learning, which I know for any any working mother has been a complete hell. Obviously, that changed significantly and having to have be much more hands on. When they reopened the offices in July of last year, I was back and we were doing two weeks on, two weeks off. And I was making sure I was there because I do find myself infinitely more productive. And the point you made about having to be there or, or wanting to be there to help, particularly trainees, it's been so tough on them trying to develop the skills and to learn. And so much of that is often by osmosis, by sitting near someone and hearing what they do and hearing how they interact so I thought it was important. Unfortunately, we're going through a, a refurbishment. So there has been a period of limited access to the office, but that's now opening up with a lovely swanky new office. So I think a lot more people are coming in. So again, I'm trying to make sure that my typical day is much more office focused. Although for the last two weeks, we've been going through the joy that is mock GCSEs for my older daughter, which has required quite a lot of standing over doing. Are you revising? Are you revising? Hopefully that period will be over by the end of this week. Um, and then I can get back to, to more focus on, on the work side. And I think, Susie, as well, you've moved into a new office. So I'm looking forward to the invites to the swanky new offices. Can't wait. It, it, makes, a nice, it makes a difference. It's lovely. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, the real meat and reason for this interview is about female partners in professional practice, which is how I know you. And it's a group that you set up. So, Alex, to swap this up a bit, uh, do you want to go first and just explain something about it? Yes, um, why not? Um, so I think it was, well, it was originally Susie's brainchild in that she attended a meeting of the Women in Law London 
um, which is for associates, and was thinking, why is there nothing, or do I just not know if there's anything like this for partners? Um, so she emailed me because she knew I'd been involved in various networks and organisations, uh, gender-focused networks, and we both met at, through the Women's Insurance Network. Um, and she said, I've been to this fantastic event, is there anything have you come across anything for female partners I said no it's so she said well there really ought to be something so we agreed that we would contact other female partners to see if they were interested in being involved in that and to check we hadn't all been missing something and as a result um, she's kind of really driven forward on the getting people together and it's grown significantly and Susie will be able to tell you the best place to say how many people are now kind of involved in the network Um, we have a directory so that we can make intelligent cross-referrals, which is something that we felt was sadly lacking in terms of knowing who the other women are, who we should be promoting to where there are conflicts or where we don't have particular expertise in an area. And it's really grown from there. Susie, your brainchild, tell us a bit more about it. Well, it was my brainchild, but it did sort of very much, as Alex said, it spurred from a networking group, which I'm not sure is still running. But as she said, it was called Women in Law London. And there was quite a splash made about it because these female associates got together to really help support each other and a network uh, with each other and that was in about 2014 and having returned to London joining a firm as a partner in 2010 and having a young child you know it just struck me that actually it was a pretty lonely place as a woman in partnership in the city there weren't many women around me and there was a lot that just didn't quite stack up in my mind and I felt like we needed to support each other more and share conversations and initiatives to see what more could be done because the female partners around me were simply put too few and we were far flung across the firm and so we weren't there to sort of that day-to-day support and it just struck me that there was an awful lot to talk about at that level obviously an important conversation as well at the associate level and to get female associates up to partner but didn't stack up to me that there were so many partners that to the extent that female partners had managed to make to that level there weren't then many women in leadership positions and working their way up the equity and there was too much of a skew within the partnership I just wanted to start a conversation about that and to to get us uh, you know to sort of share ideas and have conversations about it. So how many people are there in the organisation now Susie and what's your vision for it? So we have over 100 and it really just uh, grew by word of mouth and introduction very slowly and surely. I'd say that it was, I mean, it's very interesting thinking about the journey and the change. Because like I say, we got first got together in 2014 and so much has happened since 2014 at a bigger level, you know, with so many different things happening with Me Too and all the rest of it. But in 2014, I would say there was you know, even a reluctance amongst women to spend the time having these conversations and to get together and to be open with each other. You know, we were too, I think we were too used to being the only woman in the room. We'd got quite comfortable with that. We thought that was kind of part of the job. We were quite good at it. That's how we'd got there. And I don't think it was even that easy for those of us that started getting together like I say it started very small I think the first meeting there may be five of us in the room and and literally every meeting I'd get can I bring so-and-so can I bring so-and-so and we've just grown really really slowly 
But as things progressed, the conversations became more open and the camaraderie grew and we began to see ways that we could really help each other. And one thing that struck me um, and was, again, one of the reasons for really pulling this together was, in my mind, there was just simply not a level playing field when it came to opportunity, when it came to bringing in business, either directly from clients, but also what became clear to me fairly quickly was the internal marketing was so important and that was difficult for women you know even within a firm like back in 2014 maybe there were 14 percent of the partnership was female there'd probably be a cluster in a certain area private client for example so really we were far flung and when it came to sort of that natural unconscious bias where opportunities are presented to people here or there or you know I didn't mean it I just gave it to them because they were there but I, I felt like that was very very difficult for women and our natural network outside when it came to things like conflict referrals was, was again it was very it was actually very challenging I, I it became apparent again quite quickly how many um, instructions came in on conflict referrals to men from former law school friends from uh, former colleagues from school friends where women just didn't have as many of those contacts out there because so many had you know left the workforce or just hadn't taken that traditional route so we just didn't have as many people to tap into so I just felt that coming together would really help do that and we have we, we, we have referred across the group and but mostly we have provided I think we have supported each other and championed each other and, and given each other confidence to just keep, you know, just keep going and just develop our careers and, and help each other as much as we can. And I think it's been wonderful. I totally echo that. And I think from my perspective, I'm in an area of law where there are lots of women partners, predominantly female partners. And yet I've really enjoyed the discussions and uh, the support that's been given and I think it's just the opportunity to come together and talk about what it's like for you in the workplace and exchange ideas. What do you think, Alex? What's it given you? I would certainly say that it's that opportunity to come together with other people and have an idea of what other firms are doing, what, what isn't working, what is working, things that you can take back to your own firm and make suggestions and also seeing that there are other people who are facing the same challenges as you and talk through the solutions to what those challenges may be for, for kind of personal challenges that you have in the work environment where you are very much in the minority, where you may not have the same support network, where you may not have the same kind of meant sort of opportunities arising. And just seeing not just that you're not on your own, but also that there may be things that you can do that can help your position. And I think that's been the most useful thing. And also actually just having people in other firms who know your name and who you are and what you can do so that they can say, actually, I know Alex, she does construction, she might be able to help and I can do the same. I know Suzanne, she could help with this when we don't have that capability in our firm. So I think it's been really helpful for that. So really, it's kind of the sharing of ideas, the sharing of experiences, having that commonality. And I think that's made a real difference for everyone who's been involved in the group. Absolutely. And on a sort of bigger, larger scale, Susie, what changes would you like to see for female lawyers over the next 20 years? If you had a magic wand, what would you see? What would you do? I just, I want to see the numbers continue to change. I mean, it, it's moving. The dial is moving slowly in the right direction. 
but there's still an awful long way to go and it's still awfully imbalanced at that senior level and you know I, I want to see those numbers changing I want to see the leadership balanced I want to see you know when you walk into the room I want there to be even numbers we're not talking you know it's gone up to maybe 25 percent maybe in you know good situation it might be a third that's still not good enough I mean when most solicitors are female when we've had that pipe I mean it's not about pipeline we've had that pipeline for years and years and years you know many of the best lawyers in any firm many of the best senior associates out there are, are women the pipeline is there the pipeline's been there the pipeline's not going anywhere but the more those numbers change the more comfortable the environment becomes and then we will see less fewer senior lawyers leaving the law because we have that too obviously we have it at senior associate level and we do have it I think at partner level I think I think less so we've obviously got a lot of senior women in 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 in-house positions now which is fantastic because that can really change change the landscape in terms of as I said you know bringing in work which is and always will be important in law firms I just want it to look and feel different and balanced and equal and for opportunities to be equal. And I'm wondering whether that will naturally occur with hybrid working, whether that will facilitate more women staying. I think it's a double-edged sword because, of course, in some ways it's more difficult if you're spending more time at home. I won't go on about that, but let's hear what Alex has to say. What do you think is your view? On that point, it is clear that having the ability to work more flexibly will help those who need the ability to work flexibly, which is so often women who have caring responsibilities, whether it's children or older parents or whatever. But the statistics do show that the gender pay gap has grown in lockdown and there is a very serious issue to be addressed there. For me, what I want to see is greater transparency in in all firms in terms of promotion, in terms of the systems they have in place, whether it's the way work is allocated to ensure it's fairly allocated. Again, that comes back to the point if it may be great to work hybridly, but if the partners are only allocating work to the people they can see in the office and the women are at home because they have to work from home, that's not going to help and that's not going to encourage their promotion prospects. I want to see the directories being far more balanced. Um, I mean, if you look through them, there's still a vast majority of the people they're recommending are men. I had this conversation in my particular area with one of the directories about how could it possibly be that the top two tiers, there were 10 people recommended, only one was female. Is that really yeah. reflective of the quality of people that we have in that particular area? So I think that's got to be addressed. I think every firm needs to be measuring who they're putting forward for pitches, for key client relationships, for all of that to ensure that they are ensuring equality. And I think much of that has to be driven by the clients. I mean, Susie rightly mentioned there are a lot more women going in-house. And I would like them to be saying, actually, don't just give me pale, stale mail every time. I want to see, and we should be doing the same for barristers. We should be saying the clerks don't just send me the same white men as my options, because it's only really from the client expressing that requirement for there to be better gender balance and balance generally in terms of equality. Do I think we're really going to see any move? Because that's really where where businesses operate on, on the on the bottom line. And if it starts to affect their bottom line, then they will have that real incentive to change. It's quite interesting. I think we mentioned when we were talking last time that in family law, there has been an initiative by Kate Landells at Withers to ensure that private judges, women are put forward because she did a survey and realised how few women private judges were hearing cases. 
And so Barristers Chambers have really bought into that initiative, which is fabulous. I think it's great and really hope that that will extend in my field to arbitration as well, where most of the arbitrators are currently men. I think if we can shift the dial in relation to that as well. So there is still quite a lot of work to do. But I think a great project. And I'm so pleased that you started it. Before we move on, is there anything else you'd like to say either about the organisation or about this topic? Anything, Susie, you'd like to add? Just really just picking up what you were just saying just then, it it is so difficult because we've got to break this cycle. The difficulty is that when it comes to passing on work or instructing counsel or appointing whoever it might be, obviously we've got to look at experience. And it's so difficult, isn't it, where those out there uh, that we might be looking at on any kind of shortlist, the experience lies. The men on the list have more experience than the women, even though the women might be absolutely brilliant and I think we've all got to be a bit more courageous and give those opportunities to those who obviously have the expertise and uh, the capability but maybe don't have quite as many arbitrations under their belt or mediation or whatever it might be and encourage each other to do that so whether it's uh, lawyers in-house giving instru- instructing solicitors or us instructing counsel or experts or whoever it might be I think I think everyone has to be more courageous because if we don't do that I, I think we just get stuck. I, I totally agree I'm reflecting on my own career about really moving forward with family law arbitration and being in a very small committee when we were talking about the prospect of family law arbitration and I said we've just got to be brave if we're not brave we're never going to do this and when we first started family law arbitration we didn't have necessarily the full support of the judges or we didn't know whether we had their full support and now there are so many cases giving judicial encouragement to parties to go to family law arbitration it's changed beyond recognition so I think be brave great message anything from you Alex? I would agree with that and and say that we all have to lead by example I mean one of the, the key reasons that I applied to be a deputy district judge Um, was because there are too few women at the bench and there's no point in us complaining about it if if there's a problem we need to do it Um, so now I am one of a growing number of people who set as a deputy district judge and you hope that will encourage more people I'm going to come and talk to the female partners in private practice group about it because I really do think that we can all be part of the solution we just have to be prepared to put ourselves out of our comfort zone and and as a female solicitor you think your chances of being appointed are pretty remote but that it can be done and we can all help move that dial and encourage people. And so it's that whole saying, you, you can't be it if you can't see it. So let's be it. Let's show people so they can see it and they can do it too. Great top tips from both Alex and Susie. Changing topics now. One of the big things that we've been talking about during lockdown and something that's really gone to the top of the agenda is well-being. So I wanted to ask both of you, how do you relax? How do you create work-life balance? Susie? That is always challenging. Um, I, I like to play tennis. Um, that's one of the things I do. I think, you know, sport is fantastic. Personally, I found that very challenging. While my son has been young, I feel like there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel now with a little bit more independence. And so you can sort of, you know, I can do some of those things that I like to do but it but it is it is difficult and I think again just picking up some things we were speaking about before I think there is actually I think we do have to be careful about burnout I think post-lockdown burnout I do think the um 
the last couple of years has when the, and, and the numbers and the, and, the, and the surveys and all the rest of it completely support this it has been really difficult for women in particular for men also but that first lockdown for me was really 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 hard and it was really hard for a lot of people and we got better I think at realizing that everyone had their own difficulties and what have you but broadly speaking I think it's it's pretty clear that the women were picking up a lot of the the duties at home and, and the child care so um, I do think we've got to be careful about women leaving the law over the next couple of years to be honest. I agree I agree Alex your views in relation to relaxation and work-life balance yeah it, it has been such a challenge because now your home is your office and your office is your home and trying to get that separation particularly when we weren't allowed to go anywhere it's like if there's still something in your inbox you might as well deal with it and then it's 11 o'clock at night and you're still dealing with it and that is insane and, and I have to admit that I have not been terribly good at that but I am trying harder to try and demarcate that and we it is a really important thing running is a fantastic thing and that was at least one thing we were allowed to do our one piece of exercise a day go out and run for 20 miles but it was something that that certainly helped give, give that break and sleep and um, you cannot overstate the importance of sleep and actually prioritizing making sure you are getting as much sleep as you can I know some people say that they can they can function on four hours it just doesn't happen look at Margaret Thatcher she had dementia by the time she was 70 it's something that we all need and I find it so much easier to cope with stress and I can feel days when I, I haven't had enough sleep and unfortunately as a construction or sometimes you get an adjudication and that's it all sleep is cancelled for a week whilst you sort it out and you can feel it's not just your judgment that's impaired but it's your ability to cope with stress um, so I would say that is the most important thing that I've been trying to do as much as humanly possible whilst we've been in this kind of lockdown situation. Well thank you very much for your thoughts for your comments and for your honesty and I really hope that many people will listen to this podcast. Generally, they do. And uh, we'll hear about the great work that you're doing in relation to the network that we've got, the FIP, I can hardly say it, F-P-I-P-P, Female Partners in Private Practice. Thank you so much to my guests today, Susie Wakefield and Alex Anderson. Looking forward to seeing you at the next meeting in a swanky new office. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WIFLaw, and follow, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.